Have any of you ever told someone what they ought to do and, and they say, uh-huh, and then they don't do it? And then they reap the unfortunate consequences that come with that? I know I have. As the father of nine children, <laughs> uh, I have the privilege of doing that quite a lot. And without picking on anyone in particular, um, let's just say, sit properly in your chair. Sit straight, please, or you're going to fall out. Every one of my children, except for James, because he's usually buckled in, every one of my children has fallen out of their chair, most of them multiple times. And, uh, and that, that leads us to, to our question for tonight. So uh, uh, let's, let's read. Are we going to have that on the board? Okay. Not a long passage tonight, but Karen will dial that up for us. All right. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. All right. Um, let, me, let me pray again real quick. Thank you, Lord, for the, the chance to be here. I pray that you will... Guide the words coming out of my mouth. In, in my own strength, I bring nothing, Lord. So I pray that you will speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, so I bring that opening because as a dad, I'm trying to tell my kid what you need to do. And, and Jesus is, is doing the same here. Um, and the reason is, uh, Jesus is calling us to obedience. Now, we're not saved by our obedience. Uh, we're saved by grace. But I'm here to tell you there's a great deal of grace that comes with obedience. And there's a great deal of trouble that comes with disobedience. So in, this, in these verses, Jesus leads with a question. He knows the answer. He's not asking us to gain information. Um, but he's asking us so that we can gain information. He's kind of leading us to the answer to that very question. So, so let's look at this. He says, why do we call him Lord, which is another way of saying master, when we do not follow his instruction? Is he really our master if we're not doing what he says? Jesus gives us a metaphor about life, a man building a house. We can think of a man building a physical house. Everyone in the time of Jesus understood that, and everyone 
here and now understands it as well. We see houses getting knocked down and built up all over the city. Um, but this metaphor also shines a bright light on how we build our lives. So when I have a problem with my car, or I'm not sure what I need to do with it, what do I do? I can pop open the glove box, and right there in the glove box is the manual. The people who wrote the manual, they're the people who designed and built the car. They know how it works best, and they spelled it out nice and clearly. Change your oil. Service the, the belts and such at 60,000 miles. Make sure the spark plug gap is the right size. Believe it or not, that is a thing. Um, but the, the ones who created the car are the ones who wrote the manual. And in the same way, here Jesus is telling us uh, to obey his word. And his word is the Bible. It's all recorded in the Bible. The, the actual words he said are recorded in the Bible. But the, the whole Bible is God's word to us. He's the one who created us. And he's the one who knows how we're going to function the best. So uh, we should obey the things that he's written because, once again, there's a great deal of grace that comes with obedience. And there's a great deal of trouble that comes with disobedience. So let's look at the metaphor a little bit. We have the man. That's, that's you. That's me. Uh, the man building the house. So this building of the house, this is our life and legacy. This is everything. Like uh, when you see a tombstone that says, you know, Mark Vogan, 1973-2073, if I live to be 100. That dash represents everything that I built my whole life, my family, my, my career, everything is, is right there in that dash. And, and everything uh, right there is, is what he's referring to as uh, building the house. Then there's the foundation, the, the base for the house or the basis of our lives. And that's an interesting thing to think about. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute, but what is the basis for our lives? And then we have the rock. And the, the rock is Jesus. Jesus is called the Word of God. And uh, basically, he is God's Word sent to us. So Jesus is the rock, and the Word of God is is that rock. And then we have the flood, the, the stream and the flood. So that represents the trials of this life. So can, can you raise your hand if you've ever experienced trials in life? Anyone? Yeah, I see a lot of hands raised. You'll, you'll notice that it doesn't say if trials come, then the construction will be tested. No, it says when the trial, when the stream arose, when the flood came, it's going to happen. You can count on it. We shouldn't be surprised by it. It's going to happen. Now, 
Obviously, we want to be like the man who built on the rock. Nobody wants to see their house crumble and fall. So I'm really good friends with a guy. Uh, we were back in high school, and he decided that he was going to work hard and make a lot of money. I was going to work as hard as I as my parents required me to and, and not make quite as much money. And so we had this uh, youth group trip, mission trip down to Costa Rica. Um, I chose to go on the trip because it was going to be fun. And uh, but he was like, no, I am going to work. I'm going to make money. So. Um, well. He ended up. One day, he was backing his car out of the parking space. And right behind him, a little bit closer than he thought, was another car. And he bonked it. Didn't bonk it very hard, but he bonked it. And made a dent, and he had to repair the dent. And that summer, his uh, net income after fixing the car that he bonked was about 150 bucks. So what happened there? He fell out of his chair, basically. Uh, not because he didn't go on the mission trip, but because the basis of his summer was not in the right place. And God loved my friend enough not to let him live like that. That same summer, uh, uh, another guy, yours truly, <laughs> oh, James. <laughs> Tell you what, those kids. <laughs> um, that same summer, uh, I was foolish enough to go try to have fun in a way that was not exactly what you would consider legal. Um, after youth group, I go out with some friends from youth group, including our youth leader his first day on the job. And we bought some cans of biscuit dough and we're driving along and we're like throwing them at other cars. It made a very satisfying noise. Uh, and we thought it was fun and we giggled like little girls. So one of the rules was you don't hit people in pickup trucks. Pickup trucks often have people that you don't want to hit with biscuit dough. Uh, but we were like on our last one and this pickup truck came around the bend and wham, all four of us in the car nailed it. Well, uh, this particular pickup truck had a, a guy by the name of Officer Wayne Truss <laughs> on his way to work. Now, as I said, like the, the kind of people who drive pickup trucks, well, we know are like Will Pritchard or Travis Hall. Imagine one of those guys, but with a beer belly, a bad attitude, and a badge. <laughs> yeah, so he called his buddies on the radio. They found us. Uh, I went to jail. And I found out that night you only have to be 17 to get arrested as an adult. How about that? Um, so what happened? I fell out of my chair. And uh, God loved me enough to 
let me do that in, in a small way so that I wouldn't do that in a big way. Now, in my defense, okay, I, I was already a Jesus follower by then. And to this day, I have not found a verse in the Bible that says you are not to throw biscuit dough. <laughs> However, there are some Bible scholars that say the, the do unto others as you want them to do unto you, that that verse is actually talking about biscuit dough. I, I'm not sure. So uh, another time I kind of spurned authority was in college. Um, as a prank, I tried to repel off of the administration building at Rice during a ceremony. And, uh, and once again, I, I was quickly met by the campus police. Um, but only two days later, I met my dear wife. And uh, she was a little bit impressed. So I, I think she, she likes the bad boy. <laughs> But I, I had to do 10 hours of community service. Don't, don't, date, the, don't date the bad boy. Um, anyway, so let's get to a few questions. What, what foundation forms the basis of our lives? Are we building on the rock? Let me throw out some questions. If a stranger saw the way I spend my time, what would they say my priorities are? Am I serving God and those around me or just serving myself? If they saw my bank and credit card statements, what would they say my priorities are? Am I chasing a dollar or loving God and my neighbor? When I give of my time or money, am I doing it joyfully? God doesn't need my money, um, but he invites me in to be a part of what he's doing and reminds me that he's in control. How do I treat people from whom I am going to receive nothing? You know, the homeless guy, the, the bus boy, when they refill my water glass, you know, I, I try to think them because they're real people. The guy who drives the bus when I'm commuting in. So I think about all these questions and I don't always like the answers that I have to give uh, about myself. I know what the answer should be and then I also see what my answer actually is. Um, and so once again, I have to call on Jesus, who offers us his grace to all who believe in him. And in that place of humility, that's a, a calling on his name. That's a time when, when we can dig deep and build the basis of our lives on the rock that is Jesus. There's a great deal of grace that comes with obedience. And there's a great deal of trouble that comes with disobedience. All right, it's time to get real. I've told some stories about high school. We all laughed. Um, now, okay, I'm a grown up. You guys are too. But like, I'm older than most of you people. 
my 25th high school reunion is going to be this fall. And uh, by the time you get to where I am, you know, you, you can fake it in your 20s, uh, sometimes even in your 30s, but there's not a whole lot of faking it in your 40s. So, um, for example, as a child, we all fall out of chairs, but as an adult, the stakes are a lot higher. And we're not falling out of chairs anymore. Houses are starting to crumble, and others stand strong. So as a, a young married guy, uh, my wife heard something on the radio one day, and, and she asked me, you know, hey, I heard a lot of men struggle with pornography. Do you struggle with pornography? And I was like, gulp. Uh, yeah. And you can imagine how that conversation went. It was awful. You know, she was hurt. I was embarrassed and ashamed. And, uh, and I left that conversation like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to, I'm going to do better. A few months would go by, maybe a year. And then I was back in it. And eventually she would stumble upon it or she would ask me about it or, or something. We had that awful conversation six or seven times. And uh, I didn't see at the time how it was affecting my marriage and my relationship with my sweetheart. But it was. And uh, it took... It took that many times before I realized this is a big deal. I can't just stop. And I had to escalate that to a much bigger thing. I had to ask for help. I had to get accountability. I had to, um, you know, install software that would help me stay between the lines. Um, and then I had a, a good friend who had the, a perfect little family. He and his beautiful wife just seemed like the perfect couple. They had these beautiful children. She played the piano in the church, and he worked for his father-in-law and all this. And uh, then one day his mom tells me, you got to talk to him. So I start prying and eventually discover that his wife's an alcoholic and that he was involved in pornography and and things were not going well. And only a few weeks later, his wife served in papers. They eventually divorced. He wasn't just falling out of his chair. The, the walls were crumbling. The most extreme example uh, kind of goes back to high school. So when I was in high school, I went to Dulles High School for you Houston people. Woo! <laughs> okay. Tough crowd. Um, so back in 1992, we won 14 games in a row. We played in the Houston Astrodome 
back when they used that building. And uh, we played in the state championship game. Uh, we lost, but still we were probably one of the top 10 football programs in the country. And uh, the guy who was at quarterback was a guy named John Gillespie. He was not a star student, but he was a very popular guy. He won Mr. Dulles, you know, and he was a hotshot quarterback that led the team to the state finals. Basically, he had the world by the tail. Uh, he also didn't really have any respect at all for authority, did not submit himself to obey really anyone except for John Gillespie. Uh, so about 11 years ago, his ex-girlfriend came over to the house to get her things. And he shot her twice at very close range with a shotgun. And then he shot himself. It's a, a very sad story. Now, she lived. Miracle after miracle, she lived. She was life flighted and uh, operated on by Dr. Red Duke, who's arguably the finest trauma surgeon in the world. Um, they gave her 36 units of blood before they had her stabilized. Human body has six units in it, just for comparison. <laughs> but, but she made it, so that's good. But I, I will say in all honesty and seriousness, don't date the bad boy. Um, these are pictures of houses that are crumbling. Fortunately, however, there are a number of houses that are not crumbling too. Uh, I've got some sweet friends. Uh, I'm not super close friends with them, but their names are Dan and Julie. And uh, they love God. And they love their family, and they give of their time and money freely. Dan has a gift for being an entrepreneur. He, he doesn't do it because he's chasing a dollar. He has enough dollars. He does it because he can't help it. It's a gift God has given him, and he's got to exercise it. So, um, you know, he, he's got a business. He's providing jobs for people. And like I said, they give generously of their time and, and of their money. I, I think of my friends from college, John and Abby Jertson. They struggled with infertility. The streams will rise, the storm will come. Uh, eventually they, they had a son. He had a lot of medical issues and that precious baby only lived 18 months. It was heartbreaking. And that's a storm that I can't even imagine. But they have stood strong together. Their marriage is solid. They love God. Eventually, they were given another son, perfect little boy, and off the charts kind of smart kid too. And then another one. And uh, they now have a daughter who's two or so. Um, Who's, who's beautiful and perfect. So they've been tremendously blessed and have, have stood through the storm. Um, 
in obedience to the Word of God. And uh, it's really neat. Theirs is my favorite Christmas card. They write an amazing Christmas card because they, they have pictures of their family. They tell you what's going on, but they're, they're just real. Most Christmas cards are like, hey, look how wonderful we are, you know, <laughs> and they're just real. Um, and then there's my good friend and mentor, Buck Oliphant. He was married to He was married to his wife for 48 years, and uh, she was like a second mom to me. And anyway, cancer took her home a few years ago. Uh, but he faithfully raised seven children, including several of my really good friends. And every one of those seven is a Jesus follower today. And he now has 21 grandchildren. And all of those who are of age are also themselves Jesus followers. That doesn't happen by accident. It's, it's really an amazing thing. There's a great deal of grace that comes with obedience. And there's a great deal of trouble that comes with disobedience. We are not saved by our obedience. We are saved by grace. But Jesus is calling us to obedience. And he's illustrating to us that this is, this is good for us. He wrote the manual. He doesn't want us to fall out of our chair. And he certainly doesn't want our houses to crumble. So, um, have you ever called out to Jesus and asked him to forgive your sins and give you his righteousness? He offers that to you today. All of us have sin in our life. It's anything that we say or do or think that's not what God would want us to say or do or think. And uh, we can't help it because we're sinners. But Jesus lived a sinless life and came into this world to live the life that we could not live and then to die the death that we deserve to die in our place. He is offering us his righteousness and taking upon himself our sin so that we can have a relationship with God. I'm going to say a prayer. Um, if you have never called on the name of Jesus and become a Jesus follower, um, you can pray silently along with me. And, uh, and you can do that now or not. But uh, if you're ready for that, then uh, tell somebody when we're done. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you wrote the manual. You have told us what we need to do so that we can build our house on the rock, so that we can stand firm when the streams rise and the floods come. What an appropriate metaphor for Houston. 
I pray, Lord, that you will forgive our sins, that you will give us your righteousness so that we can have a relationship with God and show us what it means to do what you tell us to do, to follow you with our whole lives. Thank you for sending Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.